for all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Welcome to Series 3, everybody. Series so here we are. 3. Who thought we'd make it to our third series? We have. Hey, the old funding's just carrying on, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. It's never ending. <laughs> um, almost a year. A year of podcasting. So, um, thank you. We wouldn't have been doing it if none of you were listening, so I appreciate that. Um, what are we going to be? What are we going to be talking about this series, Ollie? What sorts of topics series have we got three. in the pipeline? Oh yeah, we've got some big topics, some oh, meaty yeah, topics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are going to be talking about choosing training providers. Okay, um, yeah, sounds like a hot topic. We spoke with Simon uh, in the series two around demystifying training providers. So yeah. hopefully that's helped uh, break some barriers uh, around in terms of what they do, how they work. So we're going to have Claire coming in to talk about um, how you choose training providers mm-hmm. and what that looks like, the whole process. Um, we're going to be talking uh, about early careers in the international space. Okay, in the international space. So what we could learn maybe from, from other places, what they yeah. might be doing and how we could incorporate that into what they're doing here. Yeah, exactly. What can we learn from different locations? Because I mm-hmm. guess everyone recruits young people in some shape or form. So yeah. um, we'll be learning uh, from that. We're going to be focusing also on social media. Social media, okay, um, yeah. Well, I feel like we've done two series and we haven't touched on social. We've no, we have touched on social within the discussions, but we're not going to dedicate a podcast on social media until series three. Wow, it was worth the wait. It was. <laughs> well, I presume it will be worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, Samantha, hope it will be it worth is. the wait. Oh, yeah, so very good. We'll wait for that one. Uh, we're also going to be talking about how to onboard uh, successful onboarding programmes. certainly for around apprentices, right? Certainly around apprentices, I think. There's so much investment put into those. Um, so what makes a good on- onboarding process? How do you go about it? What extracurricular activities that make that up? Um, and a whole host of other stuff which we are discussing. Um, so yeah, if you've Frank, got any other ideas, uh, come and give us a shout as well. We're always open to ideas. Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're sitting here waiting for your, <laughs> for your suggestions. It's literally got to no be honest, we've ideas. ran out. We've run out. There's going to be no Series 4 if you don't get in touch. <laughs> Um, so I think that leads us on to um, the first episode. First episode. So, so uh, hope let's you enjoy it. Get on to it. Hello and welcome to the Jack and Ollie Show, the Early Careers Podcast. Today we have Claire McKellen with us, who is the Director of Friendships at Escala Training, which is an outstanding awarded training provider. Outstanding. Outstanding. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't introduce myself. Or Ollie. That's right, we can do that now. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm Ollie, and you're... And I'm Jack. <laughs> and that's the Jack and Ollie show. Okay, lovely. So Claire, maybe you could um, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are today, and um, yeah. Okay, as um, Jack and Ollie have just said, my name's Claire McClellan, and I'm the Director of Apprenticeships for Escala. I run the apprenticeship programme in the Northwest, covering the Northwest, but also in London. Been in work-based learning now for just coming on 25 years. Yeah. Worked for a number of the larger training providers, then mm-hmm. um, set up my own training provision in, in 2012 and then merged with Escala in 2014, and here I am now. Here you are. What a good journey, yeah. 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 <laughs> so how, how it's been all, interesting. Yeah, how did all that come about? And It's something... I, I went from an HR um, customer service retail background. Yeah. Um, and fancied something something different and, and literally I saw a vacancy for an assessor mm-hmm. thought well I'm occupationally competent I'll give that a go um, 
and that's it. My, my career's back. just been just gone forward, gone forward from there. Nice. And today we're going to be talking about choosing a training provider. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be lots of people listening who will be um, running um, apprenticeship programs or um, looking to start them. Um, and of course, a big part of that is choosing um, a provider to help you through that process and to partner with. Um, and I think it's very difficult for people to understand what they should be looking for in terms of what's good practice and things that they should be looking out for, warning signs that you know, maybe um, should alert people to um, choosing the right type of provider for them. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can start with um, sort of providers. Where do you start? How many are there? Are there a lot of people, a lot of choice for people? At the moment, there's around about 2,600 training providers. Wow, wow, wee woo. To choose from. <laughs> so it's a new word. There, yeah. there is a lot. Um, a lot of training providers will do be, be generic. So they might yeah. have sort of 20 to 30 different sectors that they deliver. Mm -hmm. Then you have training providers who are more niche. Mm -hmm. So it could be the IT industries, could be cyber um, security. So, so they are niche niche ones. But in all, right. there's there's 2,600 training providers. Okay. Is that why there's so many? Because so that I guess with there being so many, they probably are typically most of them must be relatively small. Most of the yeah yeah there's a, there's a couple of the really big big players yeah. big companies and a lot of them do specialise in a lot of sectors mm -hmm. but the smaller ones tend to be more generic health and social care so all the care the care industries mm. IT digital marketing so the smaller ones are more specific yeah and the larger ones obviously who attract the the more apprentices do tend to have more more sectors right yeah. I guess probably there's also some geographical yes. element to that so you know you're only going to operate in particular areas too yeah unless you're a national Mm -hmm. provider and again the larger ones tend to be nationals and the smaller ones do tend to be more um, geographically central to, to where they are. Mm. So an employer would look out for I guess location because they'll know where the offices are uh, but also you think the niche they provide or the actual level or? Yeah I mean the, the first thing anybody who's looking to engage with the training provider should look at is are they registered on the what we call ROAPTA mm -hmm. which is the Register of Approved Training Organisations. Yeah. You can only deliver apprenticeship training if you're through the register. And the register right. involves due diligence for training providers. But that will tell you, if you go to government.uk and you're looking specifically, you can actually see who the training providers are, where they are, what their national coverage is, if there is any, mm -hmm. and also what, what do they actually deliver, what programmes do they, do they deliver. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I guess that's what people are going to want to find out is how do you know if it's a good provider or a NAF provider? What sort of information would you look at and where could you find that information? Okay, so there's a couple of things that you need to be looking at on the dov.gov.co.uk um, <laughs> web page. That's a mouthful and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can search for a training, a training provider on there. So if you had a couple of training providers that you had in, in, in mind because you'd heard about them or they were recommended, mm. you can actually go and have a look at them um, online. It's in the public, public domain. On there, it will give you um, learner satisfaction rates, which is really important because that's the apprentice's opportunity to say what they feel about the training that they're, being re they're receiving. Yeah. And also one for employers. So you'd be looking for a training provider who've got relatively high scores in those two, those two areas. Mm -hmm. 
It will also show you um, success rates. Running an apprenticeship program is all about taking that young person from the start of their journey to them actually achieving their qualification. Yeah. So you'd have a look at that training provider's um, success rate. So how many of their cohort in year actually went on to achieve um, the full the full framework or the right. standard, whichever one they're following. Standards are relatively um, new. You can then benchmark that against the national average. Mm -hmm. So if a national average for, for a qualification was 54%, you've got a training provider that's doing 85, mm. you know that they're doing something right. If they're falling below, mm -hmm. then obviously there could potentially be an issue as to why, why they are. Another place to look at, which is really um, important, is your Ofsted. Right. Okay. So Ofsted um, is an inspectorate who comes into a training provider within a cycle and they monitor you or they inspect you against four key areas. And within those four areas, they grade you. So it's grade four being inadequate to grade oh, one. Don't want that, do you? No. Do you, <laughs> you, you don't. And grade one there is, is, is outstanding. So again, you can Google Ofsted report for whichever training provider you want to have a look at. Yeah. Their latest report and any previous reports will, will come up and it will give you a detailed insight into what that training provider is like. So you've got your stats on the government web, web yeah. pages. And you've also got your Ofsted, Ofsted report as yeah. well. And how various times Ofsted do their reports? Is, is it is it five, ten years? Yeah, but it's a bit of confusion around that. <laughs> There's so many for them to them to inspect. Yeah. So new providers now will have what they call a monitoring visit within the first 12, 12 months. So it's not right. a full blown inspection, mm -hmm. but it's a let's take a snapshot now of how you're doing. So you you're not graded. Right. It's this is this is how you are, and this is what we're seeing emerging as a training provider. Okay, that's your and, that, and that information is probably not publicly available. It, it, yes, it yeah, yeah. Okay. It's still on the government uh, right, on the okay. Ofsted yeah. um, site. For a training provider that is good and above, so that's grade two and above, the new time frame is every five years. Uh -huh. If you're a grade three, which is requires improvement yeah. is between a year and 18 months and if you're inadequate you're in there. trouble they don't leave <laughs> yeah. they stay in the yeah. you're not allowed to move yeah. so that is that is quite okay. quite serious but it's generally around about five five years yeah recently um we were talking with um simon ashworth from elp mm -hmm. and um we were talking about uh he, he was explaining to us that um the uh, number of learners who complete apprenticeships on average sits at about 66 percent i think he said something like that wasn't yeah, it? yeah yeah and um but you mentioned there that you know you might want to compare it to the national average is there a simple way for you to find out the average for the particular standard or industry or, or something like that you can they, they've just been released so right. the, the, they're what we call um qua qar um qar qua yeah which which is our result our results yeah and they've just literally come out come out now right so they'll tell you on the previous year which is um 18 19 no it's not it's 17 18 right what your success rates oh, were cool. so you can google that again mm. internet's a wonderful thing mm. and you can have a look at any um training provider but if you go in 
and look at an individual training provider where you're looking at learner satisfaction rates and yeah. the employer satisfaction rates, it will also give you their success rates, right. their achievement rates. One thing I've noticed, so I've, I've looked on the website, you look at a training provider, but sometimes it doesn't have all of that information. It might not have some of that. Why would it not be there? Is that because they've done really badly? It could No, it could be because they're new. Right. Okay, and then with the um, surveys, with the ESFA surveys, there's a benchmark of um, responses that's right. required. So if they haven't had enough responses mm -hmm. from the employers or the apprentices, then they won't get um, a mark. Okay. They won't get a percentage for it. So it's really in the best interest of the training provider to ensure that their apprentices and their employers are making those judgments against their provision. And do they, cause I, do they know when that's going to happen? Yeah. So okay. training providers, we know that it's it's happening. We know who the questionnaires are going out to, yeah. but we don't know who's responded. Okay. We can see if there's been a hundred surveys gone out from the ESFA, we can see that maybe there's only thirty five that have been completed. Mm -hmm. So then, really, it's down to you to get onto the phone to Mr. Employer, and Mrs. Employer, and say, "Have you done it? Please don't, you know, please don't forget to do it." Um, but we can't actually see what those individual responses mm. are. So, so it could be a situation where you're just unlucky and you just couldn't manage to get enough responses. Yes. Or, kind of cynically looking at it, you, you could... didn't um, push if, hard enough. Yeah, because you sort of knew you weren't going to do very well. <laughs> yeah. So would that be a potential warning sign if you didn't have... It could be. If, if they're not new. And it, and it could be something if, if you meet with a training provider that you are thinking of engaging with, yeah. where you ask that question of them, you have noticed mm -hmm. on there you had a not applicable um, for your employer responses. What was the reason for that? And ask them as well if they do their own internal questionnaires and, and feedback surveys. So maybe if they they miss that one, they might have their own internal ones that you could have um, you could have a look at. Okay, great. Yeah. We had a, a recent uh, conversation um, with. Um, TMP and they had done a piece of research, a lovely piece of research with uh, Rowena and David and they were looking into specifically at um, degree apprenticeships but as part of their research they found that pastoral care was a really important yes. part of what they were looking at and pastoral care has come up over time and time again in, um, in this space mm. so it'd be good I think for us to understand a little bit from the point of view of a training provider what they offer in terms of pastoral care and what, what even is it, what, what is that? One of the gradings in Ofsted is about the personal development, welfare and behaviour of apprentices. Personal development, welfare and, and behaviour. Okay. And this has a look at how has that apprentice grown? Because learning new skills is fantastic. Yeah. But how have you developed as an individual? How has your confidence grown over the 12 to 24 months, however long it is that you've been on your apprenticeship programme? Sure. Um, there's a number of things that they, they can ask the training provider is what do they actually do to support the pastoral side side of it? Mm -hmm. What enrichment activities are available for the apprentices? So when they're doing their off the job training. Could you give us some examples maybe that, you know, say for example you might that a training provider might might use? They could do things like um, healthy eating mm -hmm. is a good okay, one. That's good. Water safety is another one. Do they invite their local services, i.e. The, the 
police, the police will always come in and do do sessions for you. Right. Drug awareness, drink driving. Okay. So it's not necessarily related to the role they're doing. Just no, completely. It's just as individuals, individuals helping you develop as an individual. I guess that's what you term enrichment. I guess. That's it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. This this their personal personal, their personal development. Yeah. How they're being stretched, challenged, and becoming. And I know that the, the age is slightly different now, but you know, becoming really mature. Mm. Individuals, so they come out at the end of it that they've they've got grown in confidence and they've developed some really really good good work based skills. It's really cool. It's almost something that you um, would like to see probably in other types of education, like a degree or um, you know, right. Yeah. Why okay. wouldn't you Why wouldn't you include that in as part of what you're doing? Because you're not just the purpose of education or training is to prepare you for the world of work, right? Yeah. So it would yeah. make sense in the world of education to part of the same thing for you also to be prepared in building your own confidence and you know other things right yeah do you, I mean do you have that in work in general um yeah i guess not i suppose <laughs> the, the idea not. is by the time you start your job they're hoping that you will have you will yeah. already develop that yeah, yeah but you don't necessarily have that on kind of grad programs yeah that's true do you? yeah maybe that's something that... i think like some onboarding programs so um when we had alice scott from development beyond learning she was talking about yeah some of these softer skills that and the problem that she said that organizations face is there's lots of evidence that shows it's really effective but it's quite hard to measure that and mm. to show that in like a you know like a you know in a, in a very tangible way. Yeah. So. Well, there's a couple of ex examples. Um, you know, sixteen to eighteen, and I know sometimes um, you know nineteen to twenty-four year olds. It's a minefield for them about mortgages. Right. Okay. Managing their yeah. managing their money. Yeah. You know, when you're on an apprenticeship and um, your salary may be lower, dependent on your your employer, mm. it's quite hard to to, to juggle it. And especially when you finish your apprenticeship and suddenly you start to earn more money, mm -hmm. you know, how do you actually manage it? So is there anything that they do do there to support support them? Um, another example with other training providers is at the moment with everything that's going on in the world of politics. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised at how many young people have turned around and said, I don't want to vote because I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm looking looking for. So it's it's these things that help to develop younger yeah. people not just you know teaching them how to um, be nice to a customer yeah. yeah but teaching them other things as, as well that's that's really relevant to to their life okay and if you wanted to figure out if you know a train provider is particularly good at that or not then that's one of the elements you'll find in an Ofsted inspection you find that in in an Ofsted because yeah that's a standalone you're inspected against against that, so you would be able to find that mm. to find that out. Are there, what are the key parts of an Austin inspection? Actually, I didn't. Ask you've that. got leadership and management. You've got teaching and learning. So that's actually what what takes takes place um, teaching wise. Yeah. Personal um, development, um, and your your outcomes, which is obviously your success success rates. Mm. Right. Okay. It's under review at the moment. We're expecting the new common inspection framework out in September. Um, this year, okay. Um, it's only in draft draft form, but as it currently is, you you have four grades, and then you have what you call an overall effectiveness, which is your overall Ofsted grade. Yeah. So you may have, they may have identified some weaknesses, maybe or some areas for improvement in one area, mm -hmm. but the rest of your provision is really really good. So that could build, you know, but make your grade go up. But obviously, yeah. you know that you need to do some work on that area. 
Um, and vice versa, you could have a really strong in one area, but the other areas are bringing it down, which ultimately could lower your overall yeah. grade. But I'd, I'd certainly, you know, I'd certainly be looking at a training provider that's two and above. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, you, you spoke about a lot about enrichment activities, and that 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 focuses very much on the personal development element of yes. that. You mentioned a bit about leadership and management. What type of things would a training provider be doing to help that? Is that helping our internal? It covers a. a, a wealth of areas from managing your people mm -hmm. so how we manage the assessors how you manage um, your managers it also covers safeguarding so making sure that our apprentices are safe mm -hmm. at all at all times it's part of your quality assurance so do you have robust um, monitoring um, measures in place mm -hmm. to monitor your your provision so there's a whole a whole area in leadership and, and management, but it's about yeah. how you manage the yeah. program. Okay, I've got a question about um, endpoint assessors. Okay. Who chooses? Who chooses <laughs> that? Does the training provider choose that, or does the employer choose that? It, and who pays for that? <laughs> okay, so you've got levy and you've got non-levy. Okay. If it's a levy, then yeah. it comes out of the employer's levy. Pot. Okay. So they would negotiate a price with the training provider. Yeah. Now within that negotiated price, they could say, "Well, I only want you to take them up until endpoint assessment." Yeah. And we'll choose the endpoint assessor, and pay. Yeah. Or they may say to the training provider, "Well, this is our negotiated price, and you're doing everything." Okay. And in which case, then the training provider would engage with the endpoint assessor, yeah. and then. That would come out of that levy, levy money. And it would never be the apprentice that pays it. Okay. Yeah. And are there um, loads of endpoint assessors as well? Like the way there's loads of training providers. They're growing. Um, I think they're, they're started out round about fifty. Yeah. Uh, fifty endpoint assessors. Um, the register for endpoint assessment organisations is open all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's no window to apply. Anybody can apply. Right. So it is growing, but there are still some sectors where there are no endpoint assessment organisations oh, at right. the moment. No. Okay. How yeah. does that work? Well, then it's down to the Institute for Apprenticeships mm -hmm. to sort out the endpoint assessment for those. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. There must be newer ones, right? There must be the sort of newer apprenticeships or... As an example, I had to look um, yesterday for a digital, ex sorry, marketing executive level four endpoint assessor, mm -hmm. and I couldn't find one. Okay, and so, that's not a, you know that's not a, a, a new a new qualification. So it's growing. Yeah, we did have a little bit of a, a, a backlog. Um, all training providers January January February, because that would be when the first ones were due to achieve. Yeah. But it is it is growing. That that register will will grow. Okay, right. So um, we're choosing a training provider, right? So we've um, we've um, identified the the standard that we want. We found. Mm -hmm. How do you find out which um, providers will um, uh, um, be able to do a particular standard for you? That you can have a look on on the find a training provider, mm -hmm. um, and then that will tell you what. What they do, or you can go onto the register of approved training providers, yeah. and literally search by which qualifications you're looking 
to put your apprentices on yeah. and then that will give you the list of training providers that can deliver it. Okay, so we selected our standard. We then yep. come up with our list of training providers who are approved to um, deliver that particular standard. Yeah. You then look through at the different ratings, so the student satisfaction, yep. the Ofsted reports. Yes. You might get that down to a short list of, of um, training providers you might like to work with. Then what other things might you want to then look at? What other things might distinguish one from another? You would want to have a meeting yeah. with them. You would invite, want to invite that training provider in to meet with you. Um, whether they come in and do a presentation to you or in a formal, formal chat. But you need to start to get to know that training provider and whether or not that's the training provider that you want to, to work with. Mm. I would is it typically like a sorry to interrupt? Okay, is it typically a presentation? Is it typically just an informal chat? How does that process? Not necessarily. It depends yeah. on the depends on the employer. So the employer Some employers dictate. do want it quite formal. Yeah, okay. Some will say yes, come in, and I'd like you to do a presentation on X, Y, and Z. Others will say come in and have a cup of coffee, and let's have a chat. So it's very dependent on on the employer. Probably the size of the employer and things like that. Too, yeah, probably. Yeah, you you get all sorts of um, different requests. Jaffa cakes generally springs springs to mind. Yeah, chocolate biscuits and okay. yeah, great. <laughs> um, so meet meet with that training provider. Get a feel for that training training provider. I would probably also advise an employer to go and see that training provider at their premises as well. So mm -hmm. where your apprentices are going to be training, go and ask to see their facilities. Go to meet the team. Yep. Um, every company has a personality, so as, a, as an employer, I'd want to know that my employees are really going to be happy where they're going to be doing doing the training. Mm -hmm. Also there, it could give you an opportunity to have a look at the lesson plans, scheme of work. Does it involve pastoral support? What pastoral support will they be receiving? Yeah. Um, they could also ask if, if there's a training session that, that's, that's taking place, can they actually go in and do an observation? Mm -hmm. Go and have a look at how the trainer is, is delivering his or her her training. I suppose you might also look at other things, whether it's going to be day release or, or, or block, block training release. and what, how that might work for you. Definitely. And, and if it, it is a day release, what are the benefits for that? Mm -hmm. And if it's a block release, why does the training provider do blocks? And, and again, what are the benefits to the apprentice mm -hmm. for, doing, for doing that? Because they are very mixed how training providers do deliver bearing in mind that they must do the 20% of the job training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it seems like it's quite a two-way thing because you'd, you'd want to make sure your training provider does is a very much a cultural fit for the organisation. Yes. You want to make sure that they really, I guess, get a grasp and an understanding of actually the, the areas that you need most help with yes. as well because I guess no, there's no kind of off-the-shelf one-size-fits-all unless you do end-to-end, -end, mm. but you may find that actually there's certain elements that you need to ramp up. And I guess you must have found that in your... Your experience definitely, and and some employers should. Nobody uses the same systems, mm -hmm. so they might say, "Well, I'd like some additional training in these areas." You know, can you do that mm. for me? So, is that training provider prepared to be flexible? Yeah, and are they going? You know, they're going to adapt some of their training or even provide additional training that meets the needs of that of that employer. So. Mm -hmm. It's their employees that's, that are important. Mm. And so we've, sorry. I was going to say, have you often found that you've maybe said no to working with someone because of actually the way you've gone in and realised this doesn't quite work in terms of what our USP is and how it's going to fit together? And We haven't 
ourselves, I mean, we, we have created bespoke programs to suit mm. the needs mm-hmm. of the training, training provider. But I suppose where you have larger training providers who don't have the time as such to be able to, to do that, you know, this is the program and this is what we're going to be delivering. Yeah. Um, whereas we can be, we can afford to be quite flexible in meeting meeting the needs of that employer. Okay, to be quite adaptable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when we were talking about this a little bit about the uh, different types of training, so um, block release or day release, um, it's also as well that you may go in to an employer into their offices or place of work, so that actually they they don't actually need to go anywhere. Their employees. Yep. All apprentices should be visited in the work workplace, so they might do the off the job training at the, at the training providers. Facilities. Could they do the off the job training though on the premises of the. If they had a large enough cohort. Yeah. And right. they had the training facilities. So that would be the main. The two limitations on that would be it doesn't make sense if you've got you know one apprentice, but if you've got say ten apprentices Absolutely. and somewhere to be able to teach them. Yeah, def- definitely. The only the only thing that the employer and the training provider need to agree on if they are going to do it in the workplace is that mm. if they're doing a block release or a, or a day release, that time is for training. Yeah. Because when you're on site, and let's say your IT and your systems crash, mm-hmm. it's very easy for you to just come in and take Pull your apprentice off. back right. and, and, and go and sort, sort the problem out. So there does need to be a clear boundary between this is the off-the-job training, and this is obviously in their work their workplace. Yeah, okay. I think it's good for people to understand you know, the different... It's quite flexible yes. how yeah. it can work. Yeah, and you've got to find something that's right for you as, as an employer, because you might find yeah. that... You have all the, or you, or you do, or you don't have the opportunity to have people come in. So you're going to need that facility. Yeah. Uh, I was going to stop the sentence then. I sort of said what I said. Uh, you also find sometimes, you know, that that back in the workplace, if they have a schedule of of training that they have for the whole year, but suddenly, you know. Joe's gone off sick. Flossie's on holidays. Floss. Such and such. Ha- and, Typical and, Flossie. <laughs> yeah, she's always on holiday. But it's real. It's real life, um, yeah. and you know, you will get employers who ring you up to say, "Is there anything we can do for you know, Peter not to come to training next next week?" So, again, it's it's being flexible with them. But for employers to try and understand as much as possible, if that is your schedule of training, then we really need to try and stick stick to it. So some employers will have many different training providers because they have different locations around uh, around the country, maybe have different levels they're working towards, different standards. So therefore, would you see uh, them working with a multitude of different training providers? Absolutely. And how would that work? Yeah, a number of um, bigger, bigger organisations, bigger companies that will have more than one um, training provider. So it's normal to have, say, yes, you shouldn't be afraid. five, five you shouldn't to be ten? Afraid. You shouldn't be afraid that, oh, we've got to definitely just have it all in under one. No, absolutely not. And personally, I would say, you know, it, it would be best practice to have more than one okay. training provider mm-hmm. than to put all of your apprentices just with one person. Not only for the reason that it, it gives you the opportunity to benchmark the training providers that you're working with you know who right. is who are you really valuing? Who are you seeing some some really good um, progression with? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can that other training provider match what a really good one is doing, or somebody who's yeah. really really progressing their their apprentices? 
But also you'll have, if you're a larger organisation, you will have some niche job roles mm -hmm. in there. And maybe not um, one training provider alone can cover all of those um, those niche niche roles. Yeah. So I, I would say if you if you're a very large employer, you would be best to have a couple a couple of training providers in yeah. there. Okay. So we've gone through, we've selected our standards, we've gone through which of the our shortlist of providers are, checking off a variety of different things. We've got them in, we've spoken to them, they've presented to us, we've now selected the provider that we want, our provider of choice for a particular standard. Um, how do we get uh, as an employer? How do we get our money for the to fund these this training? Do we have to do that ourselves, or is that something the training provider helps us with? Okay, okay. Again, there's two two strands. So mm -hmm. if you are non-levy, so yeah. you're an SME with under fifty employers, mm -hmm. the costs are picked up through the ESFA. Right. If you're a levy, then every month, as, as everybody knows, yeah. um, a percentage of your um, payroll is taken away and put into your levy your levy pot. Yeah. Once you have selected a provider, you've negotiated the price that you want to pay for that qualification. Mm -hmm. With a qualification, they have funding bands. There's 30 funding bands. Mm. You cannot set a price above the funding band. So if the funding band says 10,000, yeah. you can do 10,000, but you can't do 10,000 on one pound. Right. Okay, it's got to be up to that, that amount. But you can do less. You can do you can do less. We'll come to that in a minute. Maybe negotiating prices and whether that's <laughs> recommended practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then once you've agreed your price, the employer would lock down their digital account um, with that training provider. They lock it down as well, and then the money obviously comes through then via the SFA yeah. from their levy pot. Okay, great. Okay. So one of the things when we were talking to Simon, we were talking about um, the funding and. Um, he said in, in recent years, actually, uh, I think it was, I'm not sure it was beginning of this year, but basically in, in the recent past, um, uh, the funding, people nearly always pay the exact uh, level for the funding. Mm -hmm. They tend not to negotiate that down because yeah. employers see the value in, there's a reason why the government set the funding at That's that right. particular level. Yeah. So is that, does it happen? And are there any situations when it might make sense? Say if it's volume or something like it that. It might make sense if it's volume. Yeah. But if it was for smaller numbers, then if the training provider is prepared to reduce those costs, mm. as an employer, my question would be, well, is what I'm going to receive going to be reduced as well? Yeah. The prices for the qualification through the Trailblazers is set by the Institute for Apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. So if they say that for a training provider to deliver a really good, effective provision, it's mm -hmm. going to cost ten thousand. Yeah. Then I I wouldn't be able to understand why somebody would go in and say, well, I'll do it for three. Right. Of course, because there's so much involved. And definitely. Yeah. So, so that what, would be an alarm bell. That would be a huge alarm bell for me because I would be saying, well, what what is my apprentice going to miss out on then? Because yeah. trailblazers are made up of the the employers, as you know, mm. who set the standard for the qualification, mm -hmm. and then it goes through training providers for the pricing. So they say. This is what it will cost right. for me to deliver, or my company to deliver this this apprenticeship program. So, if you've significantly diluted that, then again, I would question why the training provider has done that. Right, but there could be some small, a limited number of reasons why it might make sense yes. if somebody was taking on a hundred apprentices on a particular standard. Absolutely. There could be some cost savings, I guess. There. Yeah, you're going to save costs because they're all good. theoretically. 
going to be in the same geographical location, so it might be city, city-based, so you just mm -hmm. need one assessor in in one place, which is going to cut down on your travel, travel costs. Um, so if it is going to reduce that training provider's costs, yeah. then yes, I think that would be, that would be fine to, to reduce it, but reduce it proportionate to what that training provider would be saving. Okay, so generally we're saying pay the price that it is because it's been set for a reason. It's set there for and, a reason. And there's a few, there's a few um, very specific examples, mainly based on volume, where it might make sense to be some, some negotiation on the yes. price. There could be little tweaks, sure. little discounts for, for high volume, but yes, if it's set at that price, it's set there, set there for a reason. Great. Well, that's what a good overview in terms of choosing a training provider. Yeah, I think I uh, hope that's helped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good to go through the whole process and get your, your thoughts and feedback on it. And mm. Are there any questions that we haven't asked you yet that we should have asked you? The only other thing that I would probably talk to you about is um, once you have selected your apprentice, is who's going to recruit the apprentices. Right. And take that into consideration as well with um, with a training provider. You may already have your people in place, so they could already be employees, which yeah. is fine, if the qualification is right for them. So if they're a fully competent and confident individual, then why would you be putting them on an yeah. apprenticeship programme? Because they've already got the skills. Yeah. But if they're new recruits or you want to multi-skill them into a different area, that's fine, no, not, um, not an issue. But if you're bringing new apprentices into your business, mm. is that training provider going to recruit them for you? Yeah. So you might want to have a chat with the training provider, because as an employer, that's gonna save you an awful lot of, lot of time. Yeah, so find out what their assessment and selection process is and yeah. how they might go about that. How they would go about it, definitely. So <laughs> Claire, thank you so much. That uh, includes uh, the first new podcast in series yeah, three. Welcome to series Lovely. three, everybody. Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope you've enjoyed that. It's been really, really in insightful. So, thank, thank you very much. Thank so, it's now time for Jack and Ollie to say thank you and goodbye. Yeah, thanks very much. I've been Jack. And I've been Ollie, and that's been the Early Careers Podcast. Bye. <laughs> for all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z With all the information that you'll need It's the Jack and Ollie Show